Okay, let's give a warm, rousing welcome to our featured speaker, Tom. Hello, everybody. My name's Tommy, and I am an alcoholic. And if you guys don't mind, I'd like to bring my daughter back out and have her finish the whole thing off. That's one hell of a... You know... Yeah. That was one hell of an act to follow. Um, those parents who are out there, you can remember when you had little ones, and it was the Christmas parade or the Christmas uh, pageant or whatever it was, and you're sitting there and your your uh, four or five year old was gonna sing or dance or whatever it was, and you said, "Oh my God, I hope I hope they make all the steps and everything else, and you're scared stiff." I'm sitting over there the same exact way. And then she just... <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I also want to say that before I get into my story, is when I first got sober, six and a half, almost seven years ago, and I started going to the 90 meetings in 90 days, I remember... There were several people that would talk about their families, their children, being in the program. And I'm sitting there, newly sober, week, two weeks, something like that. I don't even know what the hell I'm doing there at the meeting. And I'm hearing them talk about their children. I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be freaking kidding me that you're so happy and proud that your child is in um, AA. <laughs> I can tell you, from my perspective, I know Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. Um, until my daughter shared tonight. I truly, truly didn't know how much Alcoholics Anonymous saved her life. I knew it changed her life around, but I didn't know it had saved her life. So, I'm now one of those who will be at meetings. Well, I have been at meetings, and I have said, I'm so proud and happy that my daughter is an Alcoholics Anonymous. Proof of it. Uh, I have another daughter, um, Colleen, who's younger than, than Megan. And so far, I guess she's just like her mother. She's one of the normies in the world. So two out of four in the program, two out of the four, normal. I guess maybe that's the average. I don't know. Um, Joe Burns, a dear friend, I think, of all of us, said to me this morning, he said, hey, just remember, one of the bases for this program of AA is honesty. So here goes. You can tell from my uh, accent, or the people that know me, that I don't come from the West Coast. <laughs> I was born in uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, spent uh, about five or six years in that area around Coney Island, the Rockaways, and everything else. And my family that was that consisted of myself, 
two parents and my other sister, my younger sister. When uh, I was about five or six years old in the early 50s, we moved out to Long Island. That's where everybody was migrating from the city, out to the island. Um, Dad bought a house, three bedroom, one bath, living room, dining room, basement for about $9,500. That's what the houses were going for back then, early 50s. Big backyard, and then at the end of the backyard there was a, a fence, and it was only about two or three feet high, so you could get over it no problem at all. And behind that fence was a huge open area which became our ball field for all the guys that were growing up in the neighborhood. And we would play football, basketball, because there were basketball courts up. Um, stickball, no baseball. You couldn't play softball or hardball because there were neighbors. There were houses all the way around. So we had to play stickball. Um, and then in the wintertime, they'd fill up an area and we'd play ice hockey. Well, this is what, what we, uh, there must have been about 25 of us young guys, did as we were growing up through our... Um, through elementary school. And um, none of us, to my knowledge, got into any kinds of drugs or, or alcohol because our whole lives revolved around sports. And at 9, 10, 11 years old, when sports is your whole life, you don't put anything into your body that's going to hurt you in your performance. Um, between 8th grade and ninth grade, before, between junior high and high school, several things happened in my life that had a la lasting impression on, on me, several ways. Um, I came down with a, with a disease, I was diagnosed with a Crohn's disease, some of you may know it uh, better as uh, colitis, ileitis, things like that. And in the three-month period between eighth grade and ninth grade, I had two surgeries. And then the first day of high school, I showed up. The second day of high school, I had my third surgery for that condition. I never came back to school for the whole ninth grade. I was tutored at home. Um, during that period of time, that summer, my ninth grade, starting to go into my tenth grade, my mom got sick. Now, I don't remember either my mother or father honestly drinking excessively. I don't remember, I remember my mother occasionally having a highball. I know she smoked, she smoked heavy. Um, when I was about 13, 14 years old, she died from colon cancer. She was 47 years of age. My dad, who I think drank more than her, but in my estimation, I, you know, I never saw him drunk. I never saw him, um, he never hit, up, hit us, our children, the children. Um, and he was always a, just a nice, nice dad. When my mother died, he had a choice. This is what he told me later in life. He said, I was on the verge whatever that is, I don't know, of alcoholism. He was. But to keep the family together, 
he decided to quit drinking to keep, as I say, to keep the family together. For the next 20 years until he died, he died sober. He never had a drink. He never went to AA. Um, he was a very, very spiritual man, I know that. But he, cold turkey, stopped drinking and never had a drink the rest of his life. He was a great dad, a great, great dad. Um, and that'll come into my story a little bit, a little bit later. Um, Father's Day of 1964, several important things happened in my life. I graduated from high school. I was 17 years old. Um, the sports fans, um, a guy by the name of Jim Bunning for the Philadelphia Phillies threw a perfect game. And there's only been roughly 20 of them in the history of baseball against the New York Mets, who I hated. With, 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 oh, oh my God, because they knocked my, my Dodgers out of New York. They threw a perfect game against them. On the downside, I drank booze for the first time at 17 years old. Never had a drink before that. And it was only beer, Schmidt's beer, which came in small bottles. Yeah, Schmidt's. Not Schmidt's. Schmidt's. And I drank beer for the first time. I, I got drunk for the first time. I threw up for the first time from alcohol. And then the next morning, I had my first hangover for alcohol. I don't think I really drank then after that for a while. I swore off it. Um, a couple of months after that, I um, left for college. I went down to uh, college down in Florida, 17 years of age, first time away from home. And I was confronted with several real nice things. One, the fraternities would rush you, and when you rush, you would have all the beer you wanted. Um, I met girls for the first time. I got out of my little sports world and found out there was other things out there in life. Um, and, and that, and that those, because of those two things, the girls and the fraternity and the drinking, my college career in Florida lasted three months. And I was, I was back home. Three months. Uh, and I think, uh, if I recall correctly, the, the, and that was one semester, the tuition room and board was $750 for one semester because my dad gave me 250 my grandparents gave me 250 and I had to take a loan out for 250 so that's 750 um, I then uh, had no desire to go back to school of any, of any sort, and I had to get a job. So I go out one day and I, I find a job, and I'm not, I, I'm not at the point where I'm drinking that much, really. I get a job and I report to work the first day and they find out that because of that condition that I had that I told you about, they couldn't pass me with the physical. So they call me back from the job and say, I'm awful sorry, uh, but we can't hire you, even though we did. They gave me about three hours salary in cash and sent me home. 
Well, the guy in personnel um, felt so bad for what happened to me. He called a company on Long Island by the name of Grumman. Uh, maybe some of you guys or girls have heard of it. Um, and he called me up and he said, hey, they're hiring. This was during the, the heyday of the lunar module, putting the first men on the moon. Grumman was building that funny looking spider thing. So they're hiring 500 people a week. If you're a warm body, they'll take you. I was a warm body. I showed up the next day, reported to the guy he told me to report to, and they hired me on the spot. And that began a 30-plus career with one company. I became a functioning alcoholic with that company. Um, I guess, and then a couple of years later, I got married to the same woman that I'm married to today. And how or why she stayed with me, I really don't know. But that's come a little bit later. Um, we lived in Queens at the time. My drinking then started... To, now, you know, I got my own... I got my own little nest at home, my own home and everything else. And now I can set up my own... My own routine, and I wanted to drink martinis, and I wanted to drink gin martinis. So I'd come home from work, and then I'd start, and it was just, you know, just a, a very, very weak one. And occasionally my wife would, have, would ask if she wanted me, she'd say, make me a mini, and I would. Then the, 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 the small one that I would have started slowly but surely over the years, increasing and getting stronger and stronger, and then it went from one to two, and maybe to three a day. Um, we were married a couple of years, and the company that I worked for offered me an opportunity to transfer to the country of Iran. Now, we were friendly, the United States, with Iran at that time. And we were selling them, the company was F-14, the Tomcats, fighter aircraft. And they needed people to go over there to help the Iranians fly the planes, maintain them, and everything else. And I had some inventory control background, so they would need somebody over there to watch the parts. Um, I looked into it. My wife said immediately, no freaking way am I leaving the United States. <laughs> Our family's all there in New York. Um, but I had checked beforehand, before I even, you know, tried to pursue it, because Iran, this is a different religion than we have here. How do they, you know, handle uh, liquor and alcohol? And I looked into it, and no alcohol. But then I was reassured that we would be on a, a, a company post and they would have plenty of alcohol for the Grumman people that were over there. So I thought, okay, no sweat. If this thing works out, bingo. I got my liquor over there, no problem. But it didn't work out, thanks to my wife. A couple of years, couple of years later, I got an offer to go with the company out to California. Well, this time she really didn't have much of a say in it. I mean to the extent where she couldn't just, boom, right off the bat, because she had already knocked down the Iran trip, and she 
California, and even back then, this is the late 70s, was still in the United States. <laughs> so she said, all right, let's go out and look at the area, which we did. No children at that time. We didn't have a house. My drinking had leveled off. It leveled off at maybe those two to three martinis before dinner every night, maybe one or two beers. And, and what I'm trying to get at is, it says in the big book somewhere that, that you know, we're all different in our drinking. You know, and it doesn't matter about the volume, the amount, or how, how, you know, how many hours in a day that you drink or, or whatever. It's what the alcohol does to you as an individual. I never, ever in my life, I know some of you guys talk, and I, I believe you because this is an honest program. You talk about drinking a fifth or a quarter a day or more than that. I never in my life put that much away in one day. Never. I'd have my X amount of martinis. Maybe I'd be a little heavy on one. Yeah, but that's all I would do every single day. And I did that for 42 years. It took its toll. We move out here to California, we have, and, and I'm, I'm really loving the work and everything else. And, and alcohol has not got me in trouble. We have our first daughter, Megan. Um, they then uh, decide to transfer me to Michigan. We're there for a couple of year, a couple of months. The, the amount of alcohol does not increase that I'm taking. No, same amount. I, and you know, I also I did not want to drink in the morning. I never, no matter how bad I felt. I wouldn't touch a drop in the morning because alcoholics drink in the morning. I'm not an alcoholic. Five o'clock, as Megan said, five o'clock, that was cocktail hour. And that was no problem at all with me to have my cocktails at five. Did I stay up late? No, I was in bed by nine o'clock, eight o'clock. Did I pass out? Did I... I had no idea. I just went to bed. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> that's what I did every single day. And I, that's what made me a, I think, a functioning alcoholic. Because I got a pretty good night's sleep then. I got up the next day. Yeah, the hangover. But we get used to those hangovers. We know what to do. I knew what to do. Aspirin it took care of it, you know, after a couple of hours. Um, the... the uh, the, the, the first time I really, that I can recall, that I took advantage of somebody, that I can recall, advantage of somebody or some entity, was when the company sent me uh, away for two weeks to a, 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 a manufacturing management program. Now, I'm out here, and they sent me back to Penn State University for two weeks. And there's about 50 that came from all over the country. And I'm the only freaking guy that's in the bar after dinner every single night. Everybody else is up in their room working on projects, doing studying and everything else. I'm down in the bar. Now this cost a couple of dollars for the company. This is 1980. And you're not, I'm telling you, you got, you're not going to flunk this class. You get a passing grade whether you show up. As long as the Penn State University got their money, you got a passing grade. You graduated. You got three credits or whatever the hell it was. So 
I, I come back and I got my diploma and everything else. I'm so I don't know what the hell. I didn't do any. I didn't do anything. I didn't learn anything <laughs> except other guys' names at the bar who were not in the program. <laughs> Nothing at all. <laughs> so um, I, I, we moved, and I just said, and then we went down to we went to Virginia. But again, we went to South Carolina. My my drinking did not increase. It just stays the same, day in and day out. And then we come back out here to California, and I'm in the Tulare plant, the Grumman Olson plant over there. And now, now, other people in the job can sense that I'm I'm losing something. Here's a at that point, 45 year old guy. And he ain't performing on all six or eight or four cylinders, whatever the hell it is. Um, Tommy's not not doing the job. After a couple of years there, another company buys out Grumman. And I figure, you know what, I got the same feeling that they got, that I'm not carrying my load. I better get out while I'm getting this good. So I retire at 49 years old. Now with Grumman, you can draw your pension at 50. The, going back to the disease I had, had taken its toll. Now whether it was, I had no, I, I used to go to doctors. And, and you know, I, I ain't the only one in the world that fills out the doctor form. Rick loves this. Or fills out the, uh, the the form when you go into the emergency room and it has that question, well, how much do you drink? You know, occasionally, moderately, heavy. It's always occasionally. <laughs> You're never going to fill it out moderately. And all the time, hell no. Always. And I would, I'd ask the doctors, you know, hey, did I have a, you know, a drink every once in a while? Do you think that hurts my condition? Yeah, as long as you, no, once in a while, no problem. <laughs> I didn't hear the once in a while. I just heard, nope, no problem with you drink. That's all I would hear. So I retired and got out. I got social, social security disability. I had a suggestion for my wife. I said, why don't you stay home? I go, go to work. <laughs> I'll stay home. <laughs> and I'll raise the girls. And she said, fine. I'll, you know, that, that, that's great. And I was in that 50... And that's when, now I know, though then I did not know, that the progressiveness of this disease that we all read about, that we, most of us now know about, when it really, really took effect. But I had no idea what the hell was going on. Again, my drinking didn't increase. However, my physical being was I, I was getting sicker and sicker just continued doing what I was doing emotionally I was I was a wreck um, spiritually now I was raised born and raised a Catholic a Catholic on the east coast we used we had the Baltimore catechism back there and in that it's, it's not unlike any catechism I guess in the country because every other people talk about God through their eyes in, in Catholic school and 
God was the ogre. He was the bad. If you did something bad, God got you. Well, the Baltimore Catechism down there, back in the East Coast, didn't say anything like that. It said God was all-powerful, but good. And would always look out for you. So I, it wasn't that I feared God. It's just that because of my drinking, God was just... I pushed him out of my life completely. Um, up until that point, he was in my life on a regular basis. But that last ten years of my drinking, and I didn't realize it, I became a very, very lonely, angry, mad person. Not mad or angry at my girls. Oh, God, no. Not at my friends, because I didn't have any. It was at my wife. And she has said to me during that period of time, she said several, a lot of things. Ah, darn. Some of the things that though I can still stand out was she, I never hit her. Never hit her. Because she said to me, then, and repeats it now, if you had ever hit me once, I'd get half of you, half of everything you got. And I'm out of the game. Yeah, never hit her. Um, well, what the hell else did she She said, what, what has happened to you? Because you see, I didn't increase my drinking. It was all the same. So she didn't see me putting away a bottle a day. It was all the same, the same amount. She says, what happened to you? You were such a nice, happy-go-lucky, non-mean, not an angry person. And all of a sudden, you've become one SOB. And I said, ah, it's you. I'm not. It's not me. It's not me. And, and this lifestyle went on for ten years. And, you know, there were... And this is an honest program. So, there were times where I would be sitting there after dinner having my regular three martinis, and I would... I, I'm going to pick a fight with her now. Uh, yeah, honest to God. Oh, and this was a regular. No, this was this was. Yeah, it wasn't maybe one. It wasn't once a week. It was maybe once every couple of whatever the hell it was. It was more. It was too many, too much. I say, well, what the hell am I going to pick it? I say, okay, the dinner tonight. Something wasn't cooked right. Bingo, and I start on her. Just because I, the insanity of alcoholism. I'm an asshole when I'm drinking whatever you want to call it. And that went on a lot of times, a lot of times. Uh, we would... I wouldn't talk to her. I wouldn't talk to her days on end because she pissed me off. I get back to that little, that mini martini. Maybe I'd pour her a glass. You want a glass? Yeah, okay. I hate it. Oh, my God. And I pour it for a half... And she'd take a sip, and she that's it, I don't want any more. And she'd put a saran wrap over it. 
put the freaking thing back in the refrigerator. Now, I could have cared less because I'd have hated wine. But then I go in to get a beer, and I'd knock that glass over, and it'd be all over the refrigerator, and I'd get pissed at her. For me knocking over her glass of half-drunk wine, she put back... How that? Why the hell are you doing stupid ass things like that? That's now. I, maybe I said it. Maybe I thought it. But I acted like that's that was just not the way to do things when you're drinking. Um, I, I want to get back to one thing. I said about my dad and how how much I. I, I adored him. I loved him. He was the greatest person I have ever met in my life. He was humble. And now I look back how he could have, you know, he just stopped drinking without, with God's help. I know that. But no AA. I, I know I couldn't have done it. The night, now he, he, he got cancer. And he was living in Florida. We were out here. First time. And um, I, I said to my wife, I said, you know what? He's only got a couple of months. Bring him out here. We can't leave him all alone. But he wasn't all alone. Said, okay, fine. Right? We bring him out here. And um, we did a lot of things for him. We got a hospital bed and everything else. So, And they, they probably haven't heard this story. But i got to get it off my chest. So he, he's laying there. One, now he would get his Social Security check. And he would give it to me. And that was supposed to take care of his food. The poor guy wasn't eating the damn thing. And it was, I don't know, it was a couple of hundred dollars. So he'd sign it for me. I'd put it in the bank for me, not for him. So it was one night, and he, he, we, had, we had hospice in and a whole bit. And his, his social security check came. And I'm, I'm holding it, I'm thinking, son of a bitch. What if he dies tonight and I don't get him a sign? What, what am I, what am I going to do? So I go into the room. I have had my three martinis. I go into the room and I and I take his I take his hand with the pen in it and I I don't know signed it. I don't know his name. You know I, I he may have been dead. I don't know, because a couple of hours later, I'm asleep, my wife comes in to me and says, hey, I think you better come here, I think your dad is done. Did he die just then, or did he die? I don't know. And all I was worried about was a couple of hundred dollars and a freaking check. But somebody said the other day, they were talking about making amends to parents who had died. And... Um, well, I, I think he's up there looking down, and I think he sees that I've been I've been sober and how I changed my life. I hope for the better. I know for the better. So maybe he sees that you know I made some amends. But um, so what happened? What what happened? So that's that's how it was. What happened? Um, one night, uh, week before Father's Day, two thousand and seven. That Father's Day comes back in again. Week before. I wake up Sunday night, and of course when you get that pain, whatever the pain is, it always happens at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, never in daylight. And it's really bad. And um, I'm, oh, jeez, I don't want to go to the emergency room, you know. And I'm, I, 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 can, I can take care of this. 
finally, I said, no, Annie, you better take me. So we go in, and they diagnose it as pancreatitis. So I got two doctors looking at me, my GP and my gastroenterologist, and they tell me that 95% of the times pancreatitis is caused by alcohol abuse over a great period of time. Yeah, okay, fine. You know, it's in one ear and out the other. And um, for pancreatitis, they put you on a liquid diet uh, so the pancreas can relax, and they give you pain pills to keep the pain at a low end. So I'm in there for four or five days. I'm feeling 100% better, back on a regular diet. Bingo, I'm out. I'm home, five o'clock comes, right back to my regular routine. Father's Sunday, June 17th, and I, 2 o'clock in the morning, all over again, same thing. I'm walking around, I'm praying to God, I'm saying, okay, God, here's, here's the deal. <laughs> and that, that's the truth. I'm not ready to quit drinking, but God, if you take this pain away from me, so I don't have to go back to the emergency room, so I don't have to be embarrassed in front of those same nurses, those same doctors, and all that other crap. It's all about me. You know what I'll do? I'll call a friend of mine the next morning, and I'll talk to him. And he was in AA. Within, I don't know, 15 minutes, an hour, three, I don't know, maybe I dreamt the whole damn thing. Pain was gone. I wake up the next morning, and I said, okay, God, you did your part of the deal, I'll do my part of the deal. And I call up a guy that we all know, SpongeBob. But you know what? His wife answers the phone. What the hell am I going to say to her? I sure as hell don't want to. I want to speak to him. I got a feeling, what if she asked me, well, why? I ain't going to say anything. So I thought, okay, bingo. She answers the phone. Uh, Bob, hey, I got, I tell him I got a problem with the sprinkler system. It's summertime. I need you to come over and, you know, I need him to come over and fix it for me. I'm set. Okay, I'll tell him. So he comes over. And we sat and talked. I talked. He listened. He says, can you stay sober for the rest of the day without a drink? I said, I'll try. Pick me up before 5 o'clock? No problem. <laughs> And we go to the Alano Club. And there's some woman there at the bar. And she says to Bob, Jesus, this, how long has this guy been drinking? He's 40 someone. Jeez, maybe he would have been a detox. I hear that. What the hell are you talking about? Detox. Oh, crap. I'm not. There's nothing wrong with me. Well, fortunately, he had a plan that if the Alano Club didn't work out, he was going to take me to a Monday night men's stag meeting. And we walk down the street. And you know, it's so beautiful to see some of those people that were at that first meeting here tonight. They were there. There's some, some guy in the front here who's tattooed. I mean, so much opposite of me. Outweighs me by a lot. Tattoos, motorcycle, a whole bit. And he freaking sit there every single Monday night and say, Keep coming back to a miracle happen. Keep going. Oh, Jesus Christ. It ain't happening. It ain't. But you know what? One day it did. One day it did. I walked downstairs 
And there was an old guy at the gym, Lifestyles. And he was a 70 some odd years old, he was overweight, he was carrying a, a, an oxygen tank around the track. I felt sorry for him before I went to that meeting. And I used to walk the track with him. He'd only go around once, that's all he could do. And we would talk, I felt sorry for him. I'm walking down the steps, the second or third guy I see sitting at that meeting is this old guy, Tommy. Next day I'm at the gym and I see him and I wave to him and he doesn't wave back to oh Jesus, man, a lot. I had one chance to get a sponsor and he don't even he doesn't remember me from last night. He was blind almost. You guys remember him? So I go over to him and I said, Chief Tommy, could you be my sponsor? He says, Of course. I had him for two and a half years until he died. He got me off on the right foot. He got me through the steps. He, 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 he taught me the importance of having a sponsor. Um, he, he tried to help me to get out of myself. Um, and what I mean there is that he said, you know, he knew I was ready. He said, why don't you volunteer? Get out of the house. Get out of yourself. Be of service to other people. I joined the hospital guild. I love it. I'm of service to other people. I don't, I don't want to work in the, in, in, in the ICU. It's too freaking depressing. So where do I work the happy part? Discharge. <laughs> Nobody is unhappy at discharge. They're all going out with a big smile on their face. It's a nice way to spend the day. It truly is. I was lonely and angry and mad for too many years those 10 year periods I don't want to go back to that so whatever I do today is, is be surrounded with positivity no negativity um, when Tommy died I immediately went on to another uh, um, sponsor um, who, who said at a meeting this morning that he's gonna, it, he couldn't come but he was going to bring a sign I see somebody didn't bring it and I said liar so far I'm doing pretty good um, I meet with my sponsor once a week we meet for one hour same day, same time, every week unless one of the two of us can't make it we meet, we sit, we talk we talk about sports, we talk about politics whatever it is but we get a little bit of AA in there we get a little bit of life a little bit of God a little bit of reading before we end for that hour for that day we did it with top. I've been doing it for six and a half years I go to meetings it's kind of like when I was young and I'd go out to drink and I'd go to my favorite bar and before I put my butt on the bar stool my, my bartender would have the drink sitting there waiting for me I wouldn't even have to ask for it I felt, I felt then at home I felt comfortable I go to the same meetings every single week about five of them I, I go to the same ones because I feel comfortable it works for me um, I love the idea of being of service I, 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 it just makes me feel good plain and simple that's all yeah is there an ulterior motive you're damn straight there is I wanna feel good if the other person gets a benefit well that's great but I just wanna feel good um, 
I want to go back through the steps again. I've done them with Tommy, as I said. I want to go back through them again. Why not? What, what, what's wrong with doing it? What's wrong with doing it a half a dozen times? I don't see any reason why you can't. Um, I stay in the middle of the pact, of the herd, whatever you want to call it. This guy, I see Greg every single day at the gym. I see Timmy occasionally, Trucker John. All I know is that it gives me, an, again, a good feeling to see a fellow alcoholic somewhere outside of a meeting and they say, hey, I'm doing good today. Great. Another day of sobriety. As, as uh, uh, Jim, uh, uh, Paradise Jim used to say. God, I look, you know, when I first started going to meetings with him, I said, this guy can't be real. I mean, he, he'd cry at the drop of a hat. I said, this guy... And then I got to know him better. I, 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 I've been going to Pine since six months of sobriety. He would go there with me. He's 70 some odd years old. He could care He had grandchildren at that age in, in that meeting. I got children in that meeting, that age, at, at Pine Recovery. He, he let it all hang out at, no matter what. This is a guy that, well, you know, is a beautiful man. A beautiful, beautiful man. And I've met so many beautiful people in the program since, since I got sober. Um, what, what has happened to my life since I got sober? Well, you saw one thing with my daughter. My wife and I, our relationship, now I communicate with her. She was always trying to communicate with me, but it was no, it was not a two-way street. Not a two-way street. Now it's back to when we were first dating, when we were engaged, when we were first married. There's communication. A lot of other things ain't there. It's so important, communication. I was sober six and a half years. I can honestly say that we haven't had a fight like we used to have when I was drinking since I got sober. Do we have disagreements? Little words here and oh, you damn straight we do. It's natural. Normal people do that. But it's different this time. I'll say to her what she said to me for so many years and I didn't listen. I say, hey, let's, let's show this and pick it up at a, the next morning or the next day. You know, let's, cool, let's, let's be calm and cool about this thing. Let's talk about it at a later date. Something that I, no, 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 no. I had to get my point across to her. So that's back there again. That relationship is back there. Um... I'm going to... Oh. Dustin doesn't like when I say, I'm Irish, so I'm not too bright. 
But this program, to me, as it says, as we've heard, in the beginning, you guys told me it wasn't easy, but it's simple. Well, you were right. It, it wasn't easy. But you were also right that it is simple. I just, as I shared this morning at one of the meetings I go to, I like to look at it this way. I've changed one addiction, alcohol, for another addiction, Alcoholics Anonymous. I am addicted to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I think personally that that's a pretty darn good addiction because my life is so much happier now than when I was drinking. So all I can say is I don't want to go back to drinking because I know where my life will go. I know this much. I can't go to meetings anymore if I go back drinking and I'm going to lose all of the friendship that, I, that I, I love and I cherish, that I have honest to God found in this program. And I don't want to lose that. So I'm not going to go back to drinking. I'm going to stay doing what I am now, trying to improve, if I can, every single day. Thank you so, so much for